At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. of Real Psych. I am Dr. J.D. Barton and I am a licensed clinical psychologist. And I am Dr. Joanna Witkin and I am a cognitive neuroscientist. Real Psych is a new podcast where we give our gorgeously thoughtful opinions on the psychological phenomena playing out in your favorite movies. Hey J.D., will there be learning? Girl, yeah! Will there be science? A little bit! Will there be delightfully informal, explorational, informational conceptualizations from two best friends who would be talking about this anyways? I promise there will be. <laughs> we are back, everybody. We're back and after our little break. Yeah, little break, and guess what? Well, y'all had an episode last week. We are back, 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 back. back. Yeah. Uh, after our break, as the timing is a little bit off. And you may have noticed something about the start of this podcast. <laughs> we changed it up a little bit. We changed it up. And we changed it up because, uh, you know, we we wrote that intro when we had just started this. And I think, like, the podcast has actually, like, changed from what yeah. our initial plan was. I mean, it's like a living, breathing thing that we're making in real As time. the scientists say, it's a living, breathing organism. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we started this really thinking that this would be us giving like real, you know, breakdowns and like character sort of thoughts yeah. and, and the psychological really things driven. of who these things were. And then what we discovered is we just really like seeing what kinds of stuff comes up and then being like, hey, let's talk about this scientific concept as we see it sort of playing out in Either, like, the film. In the movie, or kind of society, yeah, at the or like time the, the way movie the movie might released. be received, mm-hmm. the way that all of that works. Exactly. So, um, so yeah, we're uh, we're very excited, and we've been thinking about it for a little while about how to change it and what to change it to, and we finally did. Yeah. Yeah. And it might change again. We don't know. I probably will. Yeah. Uh, I'm so happy to be back. Me too. Uh, I think we joked about how our birthdays went last week, but um. How was your birthday? It was great. It was so good. I had, uh, I, I saw like lots of friends and 
it feels a little like less pandemic-y in New York. But mm-hmm. then... <laughs> but then... But then I got COVID. <laughs> I made which... it so far in this pandemic without getting COVID. And then right at the end, I hope. Right at that tail end. You know, it is kind of like gauche when you think about it. But it could be like sort of the real most like ultimate like chuggy hipster move to be like... By being sort of basic on purpose, yeah. ironically, right. you're kind of the coolest this. one. I chose this. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, Absolutely. But, I mean, you know, there's the the way you can uh, kind of ground yourself in like the, the biggest thing was my vacation kind of got messed up as opposed to like it being a life-threatening, very scary situation and that really puts things into perspective for sure yeah i mean i think there's also a way in which like sometimes perspective taking can just be done to like gaslight you out of the like authenticity and the realness of your experience balance (laughs) it's real it's a real slippery sloop it is yeah it's a lot to think about um because also like it really stinks that like your vacation and this this trip you were really looking forward to taking had like a, a little bit of a fart in the elevator. Sure did. Sure did. sure did. It was still good though. Yeah. I got sick on my birthday. You did? Uh, yeah. I ended up taking some sick days this week. I lost my voice, which A of all, good thing we didn't Whoa. record a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. It's also very hard to be a therapist when you can't speak. Yeah. You like completely lost your voice? Uh, like, it was very, very hoarse. Like, it wasn't like I couldn't speak. It was like an owie if yeah. I did. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, I lost it because I was screaming. Well, I, A, had a little bit of a cold. And then with that little bit of a cold, not COVID, tested several times, y'all. Uh, with that little bit of a cold, I went to watch a UCLA gymnastics meet, which is one of my mm. favorite things to do, to watch women's NCAA gymnastics. I have a deep passion for it. Uh, and we had our highest scoring meet on the day before my birthday, which is pretty amazing. And it Great was, gift. we had our, our ups and downs y'all, uh, this season, no one cares but me, but, uh, I mean, lots of people care actually thousands and thousands of people care, but no one cares as much as me. How about right. I say it like that? Number one and, super uh, fan. I really am. It's pretty intense. Um, I'm like an adult man commenting I on these like 20 though. year olds, like Instagram pages being like, yes, on that perfect 10, we've been waiting for it. Like I'm such a nerdy <laughs> fan. Um, it's, it's intense. Uh, and also like as an, as somebody who works at UCLA, like I, it, it, you know, uh, I'm just really invested. I yeah. love them so, so deeply. There's a pride there. There is such a pride. Pride rock. Mm-hmm. Listen, I was fully here for it. Um, and yeah, so that's been pretty fun. And yesterday was another meet and that was also a really, really big hit. Joanna knows about my fandom also largely because we often have to schedule our recordings around me being like, sorry, <laughs> there's actually a gymnastics meet on. Yeah. And I can't record then because I'm watching super it. Super early or super late. Yeah. Not in the bit, not in the middle. No, because that's when gymnasts are flipping. Hey, I'm happy to oblige. Thrilled. Yeah. Thrilled. Uh, so should we jump on in? Let's do it. Let's uh, do it. Very it's my excited. turn to guess. Yes, it's your turn to guess. I thought you were about to say it's your turn to pick. And I was like, it's, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, no, it is my turn to pick. Uh, I love I, that your anxiety got you nervous about that. When if it were my turn to pick, it would mean no, you just have nothing. to guess. Like, it, nothing. You, ha- you needn't have prepared. 
I just like the internal script that I have in my mind at all times would have been slightly altered. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very uh, unsettling place <laughs> for me. But anyways, okay, so I did choose a movie. Um, and uh, okay, I wanted to choose a new genre. I'm not going to tell you what the genre is. I think you're going to oh, get okay. it in five seconds. Okay. Um, but if I it, don't, I'm a real disappointment to you and the <laughs> listeners. Well, everyone sorry. is waiting and judging you. Um, yeah. It's from 1996. Okay. And um, there's a ton of taglines. Uh, let's see. I'll start with like the ones that I think are not as obvious. Okay. Um, okay. From the first name in suspense comes the last word in fear. The first name in suspense comes the last word in fear. This feels like a horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh... I mean, who's the, I don't know. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. Another one is, solving this mystery is going to be murder. Okay. I mean, these are so generic. I'm going to They're so on. generic. They're really uh, broad. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Suspense, then, like, so... fear, and murder. It's got to be. <laughs> is it a horror movie? Um... Is it Scream? Yeah, it's Scream. Oh! <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, what is, like, the most horror-y, it's like... Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Yeah. yeah. First name yeah. in suspense. Um, I like this movie because it is a new genre for us. Yes, There's it is a, a new lot genre. to talk about. But so also, much. I had never seen it before until, like, November 2021 who, when who I... Who made you watch it? <laughs> when I visited you in uh, L.A., and that's... All we did was watch Scream, Scream 2. We watched a bunch of Screams. Yeah. And uh, it's good times. It was good times. That was a really. We also watched a little bit of um, Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Yeah. Well, we had to temper <laughs> the fear. Temper the fear. Um, yes, this is so exciting. Yeah. I, I, think... I just saw the new Scream. You did. Yeah, I cool. I liked it a lot. But I also went and saw it on like a uh like a f- opening Friday night in West Hollywood where it was just like all gay people. And all of them, like, chanted the Nicole Kidman AMC intro, like, together <laughs> at once. It was really that's, gay. Yeah, that's... It a... was peak. And also just, like, gay people love Scream. But lots to talk about as to why. Yeah. I I love this. I've only seen the first two, so I have to catch up to you. But for the purposes of this podcast... Only gotta watch that first one. watch the first one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's so exciting. I I didn't watch this uh, movie until uh, undergrad. I was in a film class and we watched Scream as like a as like a film. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and yeah, solid pick. Really solid pick. And at the time, I didn't get why it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in college, like, you know, I probably saw it like ten years after this had come out, give or take. And so it was one of those things where I thought it was just like a like a, a little teen slasher movie, but I didn't realize the way that it really like holds sort of a mirror up to the genre and totally. talks about like why it's interesting and why it's important and why, 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 why. Yeah. Why? <laughs> Love it. Love it. Great pick. Yeah. Excited to talk about it. All right. Well, oh, is that our, is that our, I, do you hear I our hear outro something. music? Yeah. Oh, I guess if that's our outro music that our producer is is dropping in for us, then we should uh, take a break. Yeah, let's take a little break and uh, 
We will be right back with some brilliant thoughts, as always. Never not. <laughs> it's exhausting. Okay, see you soon. Bye. 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 Okay. We are back. We are back. And that movie was a scrum. <laughs> Very suspenseful. Very I only suspenseful. saw it like five months ago, right? With you in November. God, that's already five months ago? Yeah. Dang. Isn't that time? Um, yeah. And I still was like just as scared and like watching through my fingers and very stressed. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah. I was not stressed watching it this time. How many times have I, you seen it though? This was probably uh, like my fourth or fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. A handful. Yeah. Um, okay. Synopsis of Synopsis this. time. Let's get into it. What happens, Joanna? Okay. So we open on Sydney? No, we open on no, Casey. No, we open on Drew Barrymore. We open on Drew Barrymore, who is oh Casey. Oh, my God. How did I forget that? There's a whole phone call. It's a very famous scene. It's very YouTubeable. It's all there. Uh, stranger on the phone with a voice like this. Mm-hmm. She's uh, at home alone. At home alone. Uh, what's your favorite scary movie? What's your favorite scary movie? Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. The cool thing about this scene is that she, you think she's the lead. She gets killed. Uh, and she gets killed while, like, her. she's uh, trying to escape, and she gets killed while her parents are arriving. So it is, like, particularly painful to be like, oh, no, yeah. she's right there. Like, literally, she's right there, but she can't speak because she's right her there. throat had been cut. Yeah. She, uh, so then we open in on cute little town in Northern California. They don't really name it as such, but it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, we meet Sydney. Sydney. Not Sydney Bristow. What's her name? Sydney, not Sydney White. Prescott. Yes, there you go. Sydney Prescott. There's a great line in the new Scream film where she goes, of course I know. I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. (laughs) That's an amazing (laughs) bit. So we're Sydney Prescott. Incredible. Um... I mean, let's. We should just make this real brief. The synopsis. Yeah. Basically, we don't know who's killing people. Sydney's got a weird boyfriend. The killer starts coming after Sydney. We learn in the midst of all of this that Sydney's mom was killed almost exactly one year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was a big news story covered by Courtney Cox, who is coming in and trying to prove that this guy Cotton Leary, uh, yeah. who is a Liev Schre- who is Liev Schreiber, who clearly yeah. this movie was already going to be a sequel because you've got this huge actor. Mm-hmm. As this like other character that never really comes into the film, right? Um, we don't know who's doing it. Uh, we really throughout the film have this great, uh, great character um, played by Jamie Kennedy, Jamie who, Kennedy, who yeah. is explaining all of horror, yeah, in such an amazing way. Uh, is constantly saying what the tropes are, so we know how they work, so that we can be more scared. Yeah, it's uh, fun. You know, heretofore, henceforth, there go. Once, once it came, uh, they go to a party at the end, uh, and you find out that there's two killers. And that's how they've been kind of escaping culpability throughout yes. and seeming like, you know, casting doubt on Billy and the Matthew Lillard character yeah. being the murderers. And they um, did it because uh, he's mad because Sydney's mom slept with his dad. Uh, and that's why his dad left his mom. So he blames Sydney, uh, Sydney's mom, 
and Sydney, therefore, sort of uh, for the divorce, which mm-hmm. is <laughs> just so, yeah. really intense. Yeah. Uh, but they and their their whole plan was to stage this, make it look like look like Sydney's dad did all the killing, and then they would become heroes and famous right. heroes for for stopping these killings. Right. But their plans are foiled, and our heroes are Sydney. Gail and Dewey the deputy. Uh, <laughs> but more Sydney and Gail. More Sydney and Gail. But we do love that we find out at the very end that Dewey's not dead. Yeah, I love that. Great movie. You should watch it. Uh let's let's get into the let's get into the facts. Yeah, let's let's do this. I love this pick. I'm so excited to talk about this movie with you because horror is such a psychological experience. Totally. It is such like like the it is not to me the kind of thing that has like face validity as to like why is being scared so enjoyable like i think it is not oh, it doesn't make we sense we can dive into that oh <laughs> but there's really? certainly no there are certainly uh some paradoxical kind of uh, yeah emotional experiences yeah um it's it is, so bizarre yeah it is it's this uh kind of what is it vicarious thrill right yeah like women love watching law and order svu or something like you know i didn't even think about that yeah no you're right you're right the way you get close to that suspense and that fear without actually experiencing it um and it's this weird it's this weird thing that we are fixated on yeah it's this it's this it, it's just high arousal just in general like of every emotion, basically. You are just feeling high arousal, like, positive and negatively. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's, like, that anxiety, that fear, but also the, this, like, hope. There's, like, this this inherent optimism and, like, wanting yeah. there to be a good outcome. I mean, um, that's how I feel every time I see a 90s Skeet Ulrich. I feel aroused. <laughs> I feel hopeful. I will Okay. Just to name arousal in the psychology like uh sense is not only kind of physiological sexual arousal it's used in emotion research to just talk about um different types of emotions i mean we just lost half our audience that is like <laughs> everybody i can hear I that feel everybody the need. i feel the arousal need is about more than erections yeah fine yeah, I mean, anecdote is in grad school, I was running an experiment that used um, emotional images and we wanted to get ratings on the valence, so negative, positive, and the arousal levels uh-huh. of the images. And we used those words, like rate right. the, the valence, rate the arousal. And we asked for feedback at the end. And a lot of these 18-year-old college <laughs> students were like, um, I didn't really understand what that word meant and I just thought it was weird and so like that information in the study was like pretty much useless because they all just got totally yeah totally they were just uh, like I didn't see any boners in this whole thing (laughs) yeah rate your arousal ew I'm at school don't be weird exactly yeah I mean listen no I mean but there is something there as well like there is like a psychosexual kind of thrill well, yeah, i think there is the a whole... bit of a conflation mm-hmm. um between the two and i mean there's a lot of stuff just... that says like a stabbing film i mean ultimately like a s- stabbing is an act of penetration and there is like real yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, there is, like, a lot of, uh, like, that's what's so, like, sexual about vampires is, like, the bite is also, like, a penetration and, mm. and stabbing is, like, um, its own form of, of a penetration. They're back. All of our listeners have suddenly re-downloaded. <laughs> they did a, a word search and found that the word penetration came up repeatedly. I mean, yeah, um, I guess that arousal part is also that they can, you know, mind-body connection, right? If you're, like, yeah. feeling high arousal emotions that can go throughout your body and, and cause some other stuff to happen. Blood? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what uh, What do we learn about? What's, uh, okay. what's, what's the hot goss? Yeah. What's the haps? So, I mean... We essentially started already, but in terms of the actual like empirical research uh, that I did on Google Scholar for about an hour, very I mean <laughs> scientifically. Another listen, thing, <laughs> paying a paying a doctor for an hour of their time. I mean, listen, that you're a pretty highly uh, gilded. That's not a word. Regarded <laughs> research research So I looked into just kind of the emotional experience of suspense. Yes. Um, a lot of the articles that I read about, you know, are very much talking about that feeling in films mm-hmm. and media. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it's this emotional experience is really bound to expectations, right? So yeah, film viewers have to literally hang on in suspense to see whether or not an event outcome will meet their expectations. Okay. That is this anticipatory... Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, anxiety. Uh, and there's this, as I kind of said before, there's this duality of like positive and negative feelings, mm-hmm. right? So you, you expect, uh, you know, something to happen. You have anxiety and uncertainty about what that might be or when that might happen. Um, you kind of have fear or anxiety about that conflict. Um, and then you also have hope and optimism that things will resolve in the end. Right, right. You, often care about these characters and want them to have a happy ending. So there's this kind of positive, negative experience of mm-hmm. like, emotions happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I looked at a study or a paper uh, that kind of dived into five factors that influence the feelings of suspense. Because okay. there's a lot of like uh, theories and thought behind like, is it, you know, um, what's going to happen is it when it's going to happen is it you know both is like what are the factors that actually influence this um and so really there's five factors one is ordering uh so if you have like a a chronology like sequence yeah yeah, of events it actually Mm -hmm. heightens suspense by encouraging the brain to like make predictive Mm -hmm. uh, predictions about the future so when you have this chronology you want to fill in uh, and make predictions. So you're going to get more suspense because you're building it up more in your mind of what you think is going to happen. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's preoccupation with feared outcomes. So that's this anticipatory yeah. anxiety, right? So fear it's of death, almost, fear of, fear of, fear of. Yeah. Totally. And it's like the feel, the feeling of suspense is, is more about what you think is going to happen rather than what actually ends up happening. I mean, that's totally. what dissipates that feeling is when the thing actually happens. It's really well, and what's it's what makes it, it so good. I mean, that's that suspense exists in in comedy. It exists in romance. It exists yes. in horror. Right? It's totally. this thing of like, I want it to happen, and then the best thing that can happen is actually something like fifteen degrees off from what we thought was going to happen. Absolutely. Actually happens. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's this um, uh, temporal contrast, actually. So it's like... I was going to say exactly that. <laughs> so it's like when you think something's going to happen and if the filmmaker or something like plays with that, if it happens at a different time and it can actually... Yeah change your uh experience uh of suspense or or how you're feeling about it which this movie's famous for absolutely drew, yeah. drew barrymore famously yes. was supposed to play the lead in this film was then pitched as the lead if you look she at all the posters, posters she was yep. the she was the main person on the poster totally. and they killed her off in the first scene you're yeah. supposed to think she's the one who's going to make it all the way through yeah and this nobody nev campbell was like where's she going to be but and they actually switched it and subverted the genre. That's what's so cool about Scream. Yeah, and your predictions were like immediately incorrect. Wrong. So all bets are off. So everything was uncertainty after that, which again yes. is another, the degree of outcome uncertainty is uh, another factor that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, increases suspense, uh, you know, especially if you, you think that the hero, you know, Chances for success. Sorry, are Shiro in this case, Shiro, the Shiro. Yeah. 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 Um, there's also the selection of, of characters. So uh-huh. how much does the viewer care ab- about the characters in danger? Right. Um, there's yeah. a study that showed that um, good characters that were liked more, like good guys, protagonists, uh, produced more suspense in people mm-hmm. than like villains or bad guys. Right. Well, and this is the like virgin trope. This mm-hmm. is the thing of like the people that are most virtuous yep. are are therefore most likable on on film, and yeah. that makes them the ones that that get to live. Right. Yeah. They're the ones that are sort of aspirational. Totally. Um. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, related to that anticipatory anxiety too is that duration of anticipation yeah there's actually kind of a u-shaped curve um where if you know it's kind of linearly increases with more time right between when the initiating event happens and when the outcome happens right Um, but after a certain amount of time it it kind of has diminishing uh returns which is the same actually as all emotions right like of all emotions can peak and then eventually no matter what no matter how stressed you are no matter how anxious you are no matter how sad you are will eventually no matter how happy you are it will taper off like you can't stay at that peak level of emotion emotions are transient right they're temporary um but there is sort of this optimal duration that i think filmmakers might intuitively successful filmmakers might intuitively know i don't think they're like sitting there calculating what's the ideal duration but i think there's this this feeling of like oh i think this is the timing that you know would create the most suspense um yeah you know there's there's uh like some of this anticipatory anxiety is um really happening like in movies where the event or like the thing that you're afraid of yeah um is rarely seen or barely seen, right? It's like mm-hmm. playing on that yeah. uncertainty and then anxiety. So um, you think about like Alien or the first Star Wars movie with Darth Vader, like this, it's scarier, it's more suspenseful the less that you see these characters. And totally. also when they will Signs. appear. Right, yeah, when they will yeah. appear, right? Um, there's another, like Alfred Hitchcock obviously is like a big part of of this genre and um his movies are kind of famous for uh telling the audience something when the characters don't know it so the audience knows something that the characters don't um and is that dramatic irony i think so i think that's what it's called from like ninth grade english um i know right (laughs) but 
it increases suspense, even though the audience knows what the outcome will be, but it's that timing part right. of it. When is it mm-hmm. going to happen? When is it going to catch up with this character? When is this character going to find out what mm-hmm. I know? Mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about this character. Um, right. There's also uh, kind of what you're talking about before. So this is like the fourth or fifth time you've seen this movie, and there's a paradox of suspense with some people thinking about like why do people still experience suspense in movies that they've seen multiple times because oh interesting like theoretically this you know what's going to happen um and so there's kind of two two of these factors could be involved one is your sympathy for the characters you're more attached to these characters because you have memories of seeing these characters you are right, uh, right. having stronger empathy for them. And so you may feel suspense because you care more about the people that you're seeing yeah, on the screen. Yeah, totally. Um, then there's also like the timing of it. Maybe you remember what happens, but you don't remember exactly when it happens. And so there's still some uncertainty about that that could uh, preserve your feelings of suspense. Totally. Well, and I do think that like that also must apply then to sequels. So not only yeah. a re a re reviewing a rewatching of the same film but then as the things come I will say like the nerd like I saw the newest screen film and like I was like oh my god Courtney Cox if you die I will be so sad right totally. like oh no Nev Campbell cannot die um yeah. and like just really nervous for them and a little bit I I, I was sort of like they can't die right? right they can't but it is sort of a reboot of the franchise so I was like they could Especially when there's uh, precedence for them messing with your, like, ability to predict what's going to happen. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. I think just thinking about how audiences experience suspense. I also have another very, uh, like, like neuroimaging study. Yeah. Give us the, like, like, the 411 on the DL. Take a little deep dive into that. Um, I mean the lay the lay the lay person's fMRI understanding, but uh, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. So what's this, going on in our heads? Yeah, this study was really looking at kind of shared audience experience of suspense uh-huh. um, in the way that like people who are watching a film will often have coordinated like sensory processing, right? Because visual stimuli, auditory stimuli, your brain is processing those things in time with with what you're watching right uh, but there's kind of questions about what about like emotional more complicated types of processing or cognitive processing is there mm-hmm. kind of coordinated neural responses um to things like a suspenseful film so right. things like a group full of a room full of gay men singing <laughs> along or like chanting <laughs> along to nicole kidman in a glitter suit on tv <laughs> what is that coordinated emotional response well that's I don't gay. I don't know about that. You can just no. say gay. <laughs> no, I think I mean it's emotional and like we can we Oh, can so gays it. are emotional. <laughs> it's a different emotion than suspense or or, oh. is, it, or is it? Or you tell me. Is it? <laughs> yeah. What level of arousal is it? Yeah, the gay kind. <laughs> um but so yeah, this study looked at um you know, functional magnetic resonance imaging. So looking at uh-huh. blood flow in the brain. Yeah. Um, and uh, looking at kind of correlations between people's neural activity over time uh-huh. um, with other people. And it's called this um, 
intersubject correlation. So basically, it's just looking at correspondence between people's brain activity over time and whether okay. you can come up with this kind of aggregate, uh, you know, brain activity profile right. of, of what's going on. Um, and so they they found that there was activation in something called we're really going into it I'm we're doing, really going I'm into it let's go let's stuff. name some brain stuff uh activity in the salience network have you okay. heard of the salience network I, I have not i only just got paramount plus <laughs> <laughs> sorry that joke was so bad <laughs> wait i love that so much the um, salience network what's the salience network <laughs> It is involved in kind of integrating sensory, emotional, cognitive information. Um, it's okay. involved in, you know, kind of deciding what information is relevant, important, needs to be attended to. Um, is most salient. Yes. So yeah. that is a part of the brain called the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex in the anterior Okay, I know what insula. that is. Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's there was activity there. Um, and then also in executive networks. So this is the frontoparietal okay. cortex. Yeah. And that's, uh-huh. uh, you know, involved in higher cognitive functions like executive control and attention. Um, yeah. And so, you know, basically alluding to this high arousal, we got to pay attention. This is suspenseful, right? These right. networks are activated. Um, Which makes especially like what's most important and how do I problem solve my way out of it exactly. kind of thing. Like how exactly. do I fix it? Yeah. And so um, another thing that they did besides looking at the correlations among their audience members, by the way, they looked at 494 people, which is actually a pretty good sample size. Yeah, that's a pretty solid. Yeah. Um, And so another thing. that's expensive. That's expensive. Yeah. Um, Another thing that is becoming more popular in fMRI studies is having a behavioral measure and looking at correspondence between that because, you know, there there are studies that look at, okay, we think that this, you know, brain network is involved in this, this brain region is involved in this, but yeah, you really yeah. strengthen the validity of your findings when you can relate totally. to a behavioral measure. And so they also had this kind of continuous measure of people's self-reported feelings of suspense okay. over the duration of, of the film. It was a Alfred Hitchcock Presents episode. Okay. Um, so... They had these behavioral ratings or these self-report ratings, and they looked at the correspondence between that kind of aggregated audience mm-hmm. response mm-hmm. and that intersubject correlation, and they found that they were indeed correlated. So there's some validity hey. in that, you know, this is actually potentially, you know, giving us a sense of what's going on in the brain when we're looking at uh, watching something suspenseful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's really a lot of these like really higher order functionings are functions are going on. I mean, you're keyed up, you're keyed in. Yeah. You are attuned. Yeah. That's super interesting. Yeah. I mean, that totally aligns with some of the research I did, which is why do gay people like horror films so much? Well, I mean, this is like diving in in different ways, right? Well, I think gay people are the most salient. <laughs> Are the highest order. Highest arousal. Uh, listen, in my case, <laughs> uh, I've always found them to be the most arousing. Um, but uh, no, I think so. I um, 
I, I really was like, I was, I, as I named at the beginning of this episode, like I was really like struck by how gay the screening of Scream was that I went to when there's no one gay in, I, I guess there's somebody in the new Scream film who's gay because like, you know, rules. Yeah. But, uh, but historically, right. Also again, another film where there are no important characters of color. Um, there's but, actually, isn't there more characters of color in the scary movie? Like, yes. <laughs> comedic. <laughs> Which, do you know that Scary Movie was originally planned to be the name of Scream? Really? And if you watch the movie Scream, they specifically use the phrase Scary Movie. What's your favorite Scary Movie? Yeah. They, like, do it. And it was initially going to be called Scary Movie. Dang. Isn't that interesting? I love that, yeah. Yeah, and Fun so fact. they say the, the, the phrase Scary Movie several times throughout the film. Um, but, uh, so this is a super interesting thing because this, uh, this is a genre that is not a particularly like queer focused, queer centered, queer, queer period, Mm -hmm. um, uh, at all. And, um, so the, the, some of the interesting stuff that I, that I looked into was basically like that. There is not just this um, anecdotal experience of queerness as like a theme in horror, but uh, as horror as an interest of queer folks. Mm. And so a lot of the biggest names in horror, um, the people who made uh, like Chucky, um, a lot of these different um, like real creators that sort of have reinvented and and changed the genre um, are queer people. Um, But not only that, uh, Kevin Williamson who created Scream is queer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a gay man. Uh, he wrote um, all of them except the third sequel and this this new one he's a producer on. But um, so basically the thing of horror is kind of this this strange genre where weirdly it's one of the few genres that historically actually puts women in the center of mm-hmm. the story. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about why. <laughs> Right? We'll talk about why. So it's one of these things where it's really interesting to see that, like, this concept of, like, the final girl, which is a trope throughout um, a lot of uh, horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's in, you know, Halloween. It's in Nightmare on Elm Street. It's in, um, what's the, it's in Alien. It's in Scream. Yeah. It's in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm-hmm. The Faculty. Like, it's in a lot of these different uh different things where it's it's some of the longest sort of things we know the final girl right who is the woman and so we're rooting for a woman who is fighting back which Mm -hmm. is like again men gay men love a pop star gay men love to sort of like deify uh a gorgy woman who is like having a hard time (laughs) (laughs) but there's a lot of like just really sort of interesting uh, things that we see. Uh, and then, I mean, just historically, and, like, if you look at, like, film history, um, as we named uh, earlier, a lot of the only ways that queerness could show up in film was as villains. So the only okay. time we get to see, like, androgynous, intelligent characters that are on screen and, and represented is as villains... Uh, particularly as horror villains, the the one of the biggest examples of this is um, vampire films, mm-hmm. where as I named earlier, right, penetration being the thing, and you can have same sex penetration, 
uh, in these kinds of films. So there is this sort of like weird psychosexual arousal Mm -hmm. of something taboo, something forbidden, something indulgent. Not that all gay men are murderers, but some murderers are gay men. And you put that together how you want to. (laughs) Um, but but no, I just think it's like a really interesting thing to like when you really do sit down and look at it, it, it is this kind of like uh, this sort of alternative world where like these other characters can exist mm-hmm. in a way that we don't um, by vilifying them. We're actually now allowed to look at them and look up to them mm-hmm. in a way that like we typically wouldn't also like it's low key like. The only time women get to be heroes right. is in horror films. And villains have power, right? Yes. Yeah. I've always said that about me. <laughs> villains have power. No, I mean. And I am powerful. Therefore, <laughs> you're welcome. Yeah, I mean, these these attributes, regardless of the way that they're employed and kind of the narrative uh, of the film, are yeah. compelling. You know, like. Yes. Women being heroes villains gay villains being powerful you know like in in horror films women be heroes in other films women be shopping <laughs> women be shopping women be shopping um yeah. susan b anthony um <laughs> uh, yeah that makes me think about you know women being the protagonists in these kinds of movies even in scream which you know subverts the genre in a lot of ways yeah but actually doesn't really in this sense well that's Um, the kind of magic about the like weird inside out notions of scream where it's constantly explaining the genre to you but it's of course explaining the genre to you only to further the suspense that you sort of mentioned earlier right like where it's like the rules are you can never say like i'll be right back and then like immediately the weirdest matthew lillard the weirdest dude i'll be right back he was already (laughs) playing shaggy before he was even playing shaggy yeah he he uh so weird but then the next scene is uh uh gail weathers courtney cox leaving the van to go check out the car with dewey and she goes i'll be right back yeah and then leaves and so as the audience were like oh no (laughs) yeah you're "Ah!" perfectly primed yeah yeah um but yeah, I, I kind of fell down a rabbit hole of benevolent sexism. <laughs> because, my favorite kind of sexism. Well, uh, it's I was thinking about this kind of damsel in distress yeah. phenomenon. Um, why, you know, women are, are the ones we wanna protect in these films, right? Like we yeah. wanna, we want them to survive. They're often have these kind of uh, gender normative traits of being virginal or be you know virtuous totally. in some way in a way that is valued due to a patriarchal heteronormative society um, yeah i have some thoughts on this too but you, ladies first <laughs> thank you so much um well, see what i did there yeah you did you're so nice um <laughs> benevolently sexist benevolently so just to kind of level set on, on what this is um, yeah so there are kind of two types of sexism. There's hostile sexism, which is kind right. of what you might think of when you think of sexism. Um, and then there's benevolent sexism, which is, you know, men are still treating women differently, but it's in a way that actually can benefit women in a way. You know, Hypothetically. Hold, hypothetically. Holding open doors, giving up their seat on a train. Um, paying, paying for uh, dinner, dinners. Dinner, totally. Providing for them. You know, it's kind of subjectively positive um characterized by really this like 
you know, lots of respect and, and care for women, promise that they'll be protected. Chivalry. And provided for. Chivalry, totally. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was thinking about this as it relates to, to Scream and, and, you know, Sydney and Gail Weathers are the ones standing at the end, right? They're the yeah. ones who ultimately yeah. are the absolute heroes, um, prevail, kick ass, like, you know, are, of are, course. are the the ultimate heroes and are just incredible. But there's also like Sydney is still reliant on men throughout the film. Like her boyfriend, Billy, is he a murderer or is he her protector? And they kind of play with that throughout, even with her father. Is he the murderer or is he like her dad who, you know, like, wow, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but there's this, this kind of like, it still exists within this universe. Of course, of Sydney being kind of uh, reliant on on these men in her life, or at least being really, um, you know, like preoccupied with, with what role they are in her life. Are they? Yeah. Are they being hostile towards me? Are they being benevolent? Are they protecting me? Are they trying to hurt me? Right. Um, I mean, she she thinks that Billy is the killer. Uh, you know, tells the police that she thinks he might be the killer. He then gets taken to jail and she feels so guilty yeah, for doing that that she guilt. has sex with him. Yeah, totally. And she feels so guilty. And the, just the way they even say the like, the like, oh, do you see how you, do you see how you get me? Do you see how you make me feel? I, yeah, I mean, that whole Basically thing Basically like, oh, so do you see how turned on you make me? Right. And then you tell me no. How dare you? Yeah. 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 And it's like, after everything I've done for you, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But- I the le- whole time he legit killed her mom. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, which, by the way, reminds me of my high school boyfriend. It was crazy. <laughs> my boyfriend's crazy. <laughs> my boyfriend's crazy. <laughs> um, I looked at a couple of studies, though. One of them was looking at uh, fear of crime. And, yeah. Uh, endorsement of benevolent sexism um, in men and women. Uh, and so... Increased fear of crime or like belief that you were, you know, going to be a victim of a crime was associated with increased endorsement of benevolent sexism. And this was true across genders. Yeah, totally. Um, Also, greater levels of behavioral inhibition. So, you know, just general cautiousness and lower levels of self-esteem due to, you know, you have a lack of control. You're afraid that something bad's going to happen to you. You don't have control. over that, So it impacts your your psychological well-being in terms of your self-esteem. Um, you know, so the, a lack of safety enforces the patriarchy, essentially. Um, there's also at the national level, there's a study that said the nation's level of benevolent sexism is negatively linked to nationwide indicators of gender equality. So this is sure know, across populations within, you know, a person, right. Of course, know, they're a function of society. But yeah, hostile sexism can also lead women to seek out benevolent sexism in societies yeah. where women are punished for, you know, quote unquote, like being, being out of their, their kind of, uh, desired role in society, right? right. They're not acting the way that they should be. Um, so women are afraid of hostile sexism from, uh, men, but they're also can be seeking out protection from other men in order to remain safe. Um, kind of the cost to women is they're remaining dependent on men and having to conform to gender norms because their safety is not right. They the don't sickness have that. is the cure. Exactly. Ugh. 
but there's also like so you know there's this uh fear of crime increases women's distrust of men simultaneously increases dependence on men right is this heterosexual paradox paradigm paradox of of courtship how do you date someone (laughs) they're either trying to hurt you or they're trying to love you or like you know or you know like there's there's no in between um and there now that's dramatic irony folks i mean there's also stuff with right-wing authoritarianism as well what no yeah surprising they show up yeah what Um, (laughs) so you know right-wing authoritarianism associated with a commitment to tradition social convention it's also related to higher perceived threat so higher levels of yes constantly look at fox news everything's a threat everything is a threat to a family values exactly to our way of life no more pronouns folks fear of crime you know to name it like it's a perceived fear of crime whether or not that actually exists or not their safety is in question it is a perception right um so that might lead someone to think you know society is dangerous and threatening and that or supports, just certain colored people well, of society yeah. um certain races yeah well castes? this is this this uh resistance to change and wanting to enforce tradition and social right. convention and your all, beliefs as a, as a person uh, yeah, which is all in line with right-wing authoritarianism like really right. clinging to to your beliefs um yeah and so you know because you're clinging to those beliefs, you can you're probably going to increase your endorsement of benevolent sexism. So these kind of fear-based uh, ideologies and right. you know, motivations are going to be correlated with increased endorsement of benevolent sexism. And it's often something that like isn't super conscious to people all the time. Right. Of like, of course. Well, this person is being super nice to me, or like you know, I I feel safe because of this, you know, whatever. And well, and it, it's unfortunately, it's just like you named, it's totally reinforcing, right? Women are, in fact, it, at greater risk in our society, right? So for me to offer to walk female friends to back to their cars at night or something is not, it is, of course, benevolent sexism, but it's also within the actual understanding of the sexism of the world, therefore means those of us are at greater risk. Like, it's... Yeah, it's still it's still adhering to the patriarchy, right? Which is that yeah. women are smaller and at higher risk, and they need the protection of men. And yeah, they're more likely to be physically assaulted. Yeah, and okay, so that was one article that looked at kind of those correlations, which made sense to me. And then, just like last week, I found uh-huh. another article that made me uh-huh. super mad. Okay, um, written by men. Um, basically, written by men. Yeah, the author. <laughs> For men, Mankind. by men. <laughs> the author was Speed Stick. <laughs> and Axe Body Spray. Um, yeah. It looked at... like It just makes me so mad. Okay. Psychological entitlement as a uh-huh. facet of narcissism, you know? Like, uh-huh. basically, it's people feel like they deserve nice things, social status, these feelings of superiority. They behave in a way that promotes their own kind of esteem and status. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Doing Fox what News. they need to do to gain resources. And so this study looked at women high in psychological entitlement were more more strongly endorsed benevolent sexism. Um, yeah, and, and men did not show this relationship. Um, and so 
They okay. They said things in such Love. a way of you know women are are <laughs> literally uh, entitled benevolent- women think you need to open the door for yeah. them. Ew. Benevolent sexism only exists because women adopt benevolent sexism, which made me so effing mad. <laughs> like, like this, this like idea, that, like women are so selfish. They Is this just want by the actual same person as the one that you found I, last no, week. No, it wasn't because I checked, but yeah. it was like this is the same. Nightmare. I gotta look at the journal. Op ed for some sort of academic journal. Basically, yeah, women are so selfish. They just want men to give them nice things, so they unknowingly perpetuate gender inequality, uh, and it's actually their fault and not men's faults, right? It's their fault because they're accepting it, they're endorsing it. Um, deep in vibes. They also uh, cite. Um, actually, these are the people who wrote their their own studies. Men who express agreement with benevolent sexism are often more caring, satisfied, and positive relationship partners. So men are the heroes for being benevolently sexist. Um, I mean, I just, I just feel like, you know, sexism is still sexism, right? But benevolence. I, I just, I mean, I'm trying to think of the most generous interpretation of this, which is like men who are products of society and, and the patriarchy and patriarchal norms that they grew up with. Um, and so they think that they're being nice, right? They think that they're doing the right thing, but they're still at the end of the day sexist and they're treating women differently. And you yes. know, they're still operating in a society where men are better than women. And it is up to the men to decide, I will choose to be benevolent. Because I have the power and I get to decide. And yeah. women, as a matter of survival, can choose to accept that by adhering to those norms, right? By adhering to, you know, being seen as weaker. Um, there's some studies that show that women who endorse uh, benevolent sexism actually show lower career aspirations. And it's like, <laughs> you know, is it, it – it's just the – it's causation is not – like correlation right. is I not mean, causation, it, well, and it's right? The, it's, the, it's the nightmare scenario where somebody is looking at this through such a selective filter lens that they're like, when they when they try to address the argument or address the thing, there's, it's like the same kind of people that are like, oh, well, if you're a feminist, then do you think it's fine for a guy to hit a woman? Right. And it's like, no, yeah. I don't think it's okay for a guy to hit a guy either. Like, yeah. what are you saying about? I know, I know. What are you... It's, who are you being? So and why just, is this the, your brand? Right. So the, the like this study trying to talk about just placing blame with women essentially for like well you're not saying no to, you know you're adopting this too it's like women who agree with benevolent sexism are literally safer there's no choice for women right. to adopt or deny benevolent sexism right. it's life or death it's you choose to adhere and you have a less complicated life or you don't adhere and you can face hostile sexism. Either way, you're getting sexism. <laughs> I mean, know? maybe I'd like to see a study on just like if they could reduce just women being so shrill. Yeah. When well, they when they make these arguments. I mean, bring it back to Gail Weathers, which is there's another a naggy thing. vibe. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, but Gail Weathers is a capitalist. Gail Weathers is like a very intense, like you know, narcissist, mm-hmm. self promoting above all others and and doing the thing that I think a lot of people we see with like the, the, you know, corporate arguments for like environmentalism or whatever, where she's like, you publish this book 
And she's like, well, if I didn't, somebody would have. Right. Right? Like this sort of like amoral. But of course, she that does come in and, and save the day. Like she she is a yeah, hero. And she is- Sorry. She is a shero. <laughs> Sorry, and, a, know, a woman hero. I wish there was a word for it, but we just have to use the yeah, same word as a man, exactly. I guess. Um, I mean, she's ambitious and she works hard, like, but she also, it's it's a complicated thing. Um, but, I, you know, so figure out benevolent sexes, sexism in men who are, ben, like, choose to be benevolently sexist, right? Which is apparently mm-hmm. the best that any man's going to do in society. Gillette. But, like... <laughs> That also made me think about when does that go too far? Went about incels and good guy syndrome, right? Which is oh no, but I mean like yeah, it's it's I mean it's, it's all the, the same it's thing the though. Gross, where it's like it's fathers protecting their daughters like with like virginity with weird oh promise God. rings. Oh, it's that like gross. I've seen like I've seen men like post pictures of their baby daughters, baby daughters. That's like onesies that say like. You know, she's never going to date or like, you know, something like about their dating and like dads with shotguns. Yeah, it just it makes me sick. But so, you know, this is I think this good guy syndrome is kind of the consequence of women who do not adhere to benevolent sexism. Right. Which is men are like, I am nice. Why won't you give me all the things that that, you know, go along with this this Mm -hmm. patriarchal agreement? Right. Which right. is you're supposed to, uh, you know, give me like interpersonal fulfillment and, you know, like all of these kind of expectations. And when they don't, it can quickly turn to hostile sex- sexism because at the end of the day, this is all predicated on being sexist. Yeah. It's all based in this idea. Yeah. I mean, it's just like last week with the like women are supposed to hold withhold sex from men. It's women's yeah. social responsibility to withhold sex. I think it's also just like such bullshit to like write article, like do research being like, well, how are men, I mean, how are women perpetuating <laughs> I mean, this? What are right. women doing so we can blame them? <laughs> you know who we should get to write the, the updated version are those amazing scientists who determined that bisexuality actually does exist yeah that would be that would be really helpful i think because they to just get somebody that are like hey y'all turns out women do have what what are they yeah cutting edge they're gonna be like hey it turns out women actually do have opinions (laughs) that's gonna be the next the next big study it just made this this paper made me so mad (laughs) like how is it a like they just they act like it's a choice for women to adopt or not adopt benevolent sexism my my body my choice and this entire paper benevolent sex like the, all of this is still like well women how are you thinking about men not any other yeah. not any other question this sexism doesn't even pass the Bechtel <laughs> test just makes yeah. me so mad like you I mean we talked about this before but this is a another peer-reviewed article that just well is like it just goes to show that most of the people reviewing them are sociopaths. 2013, like within the last decade. God, 2013. So, yep. Um, so I just, I mean, I, I try real hard to like find, well, they couldn't possibly mean this. I did this last week too, where I'm like, well, they couldn't possibly be this blatantly shitty and biased. Um, but no, this is... This is as uh, ob- objective as I could be about it. 
I mean, you know, I think you did the damn thing. I think you did it right. I think you're incredible. Uh, should we end with our uh, little our cli- brief clinical note? Clinical corner? Clinical, clinical case corner. <laughs> this is a shooting star of psychology and mental health for free podcast. Uh, yeah, so one of the things, I think we've sort of touched on this a little bit in different things, is just to talk about uh, psychopathy. Mm. Um, I, we, we will have future episodes where we'll really dig in and yeah. really find like a, a villain that we w- want to like look at their sort of trajectory, their trauma. So one of the things that uh, I always like to do is, you know, I love saying words. I love saying the right words and I love the words being right for what I want to say. Love it's, that. It's, the it's best. my kink. Yeah. <laughs> it's the best. And I love specificity. And uh, one of the things that's actually throughout this film used incorrectly, they use a word that is often used when we talk about killers, when we talk about murderers, Mm -hmm. when we talk about other synonyms for people who end other people's lives, is uh, psychotic, Mm -hmm. right? They say like, oh, he's psychotic, yada, 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 yada. So once again, for those in the back who maybe haven't listened to all the episodes where we've probably talked about this in other times, so psychotic actually means uh, has delusions or hallucinations. Yeah. Auditory, visual, olfactory, right? Somebody could be like, I smell pumpkin seeds. And you'd be like, I didn't make pumpkin seeds. They're psychotic. But somebody who's like running around stabbing people with a knife, likely not psychotic, mm-hmm. might be psychopathic, mm. which is also the best thing because it's not a diagnosis. <laughs> uh, so, uh, psycho- psychopathy, psychopaths, sociopaths, right? This is all something that falls under something we've talked about a lot, which hopefully for those who've listened, it's already starting to ring bells. This is something called antisocial personality disorder. Yep. So this is a disorder where people go against the rules of society, right? There are lots of different things that when we look at the idea of somebody who has such intense antisocial personality disorder that they enter into what some might call psychopaths, this means they have uh, this things we've talked about, uh, a reduced adrenaline response is very likely where like they can do things that would make other people freak out. Mm-hmm. That is sort of the thing that sort of leads into this idea. So who gets to say who a psychopath is? There are some scholars out there who've sort of uh, chosen to build some expertise in this. However, you know, psychology as a whole has not agreed. Nobody is like, so there are some that are are doing a lot of work on this very intense form of antisocial personality disorder. Um, and there are some people in prisons or whatever who are studying, you know, serial killers and mm-hmm. things like that. However, diagnostically, we're still really looking at antisocial personality disorder. We're just looking at it in a form that is malevolent, malignant, and violent mm-hmm. in, in a very extreme ways. And this sort of like very calculated, like, ooh, who's creating these like psycho killer kind of vibes? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, movies sex it up in a fun way where it's like, oh, they're two attractive high schoolers and they are mad at their girlfriends. Right. They're going to kill the hot, gorgeous girls because they're so mad at girls, <laughs> right? Or like whatever, right? Yeah. Of course, Billy in this, you know, vilifies Sydney's mom. That's what starts all of it. Sydney's mom sleeps with Billy's dad. Billy's dad leaves his mom. Therefore, this woman needs to be killed. Mm-hmm. That's like the central thing. So this 
And then he weirdly just loops his friend in. Who's like, yeah, all right, let's go kill a bunch of people. Yeah. Um, so this, these, the presentation of these, of these like stabby scream, like killers is not re- like representative of what we see in like actual serial killers. Um, they are doing this for fame, for notoriety in a way that like most serial killers really aren't looking for fame and notoriety, except in, like, film and television. Most of them would like to keep killing people and not being caught. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's it makes a, me like think a about, defining um, trait, really. It makes me think about the difference between them, right? Because there's, like, Billy is out for vengeance. He has some kind of, you know, perceived, like, you know, whatever. He hates – there's a motivation there. But for – what's his – what's the friend's name? Uh, Matthew Lillard. Matthew Lillard. It's Matthew Lillard. Um – he like almost seems like he doesn't understand the difference between right and wrong. Like yeah, at the he end tru- he's like, my parents is- are gonna be so mad at me. Like he like yeah. doesn't understand. He really doesn't get right yeah. and wrong, which again is not. I mean, that's sort of what they they would like to assume like a sociopath would be, a mm-hmm. psychopath would be, is like a child who has to learn the social rules of right and wrong, but doesn't necessarily agree with them. Right. But he, Matthew Lillard plays such like just a weird Yeah, like what is dude, that? Dude, yeah. what is that? I mean, honestly, like in a way where like from a casting perspective, it's like, dang, you really, nobody else was going to give that performance. That's like good for you, man. true, yeah. Uh, I still always just look at him and think she's all that. Yeah. Um, Brock is from the real world. What? Where am I from? No, the real world on MTV. <laughs> um, but yeah. So that's just my little note. Psychotic does not mean killer. In fact, people who are psychotic are more likely to be the victims of crime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sociopaths and psychopaths are the boogie people. Of uh, that makes it sound like dancers. Uh, I wanted to make non-gendered boogeymen, the boogie people. Boogie people. Um, listen, feminism. Okay. Um, I'll be back next yeah, week with I, more feminism. I'll be back next week with more women stuff, <laughs> more man hating. I'm gonna find uh, some other to researchers date. Yeah. Well, should we do our little uh, customer corner yeah. and hear what some people have to say? Yes. All right, let me play some audios for us. Hello, I am a huge fan of the podcast, Real Psych. The moment I heard the title, I had to be listening to all the episodes. Uh, First of all, pop culture, and then top of that, academic discourse on pop culture is my favorite subgenre of content. I knew uh, Dr. JD thanks to Kelsey Dara's podcast. And I was so excited when they mentioned that they're going to start a podcast called Real Psych, which is obviously I knew it would be great fun. But when I listened to the episodes, it turned out to be great, great fun. Uh, I do have a problem with the Mean uh, Mean Girls reference that was made in the previous episode, as in the Easy A episode. It wasn't uh, Dawn Schweitzer who had the hot dog situation. She was a virgin. Uh, it was Amber D'Alessio, if I'm getting the name right, who had the hot Easy A for me is one of those movies that will be timeless despite many, 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 many problems. Um, but thank you for making that episode. And it was not exactly the pinnacle of queer representation as had been discussed in the podcast, but I feel like it was one of the best movies for the girls, gays and days. 
and finally we saw a, a high school movie that didn't have men being entitled and being pieces of shit that was normalized without remorse and i think that movie was a great learning experience and um, hopefully we strive to do better yet we pick ourselves up for a new day and i know this message was like really cheesy but thank you for the episode it was great fun listening that was amazing <laughs> uh, that was amazing yeah. thank you also here's the thing as i said earlier i love the right word for the right thing and you are right i got the wrong name from that mean girls reference i love a correction uh i honestly feel that's, like alive yeah, i feel so thrilled about it uh well thank you thank you for listening thank you for listening and also kelsey dara's podcast is really incredible it's called confidently I insecure i did do an episode uh a few months ago uh where we talk about mental health stuff i'll probably uh hopefully do another yeah. another one or two in the future as well um keep listening to both yeah. of us and then we have one more I loved the episode of Call Me By Your Name, uh, which I really enjoyed. Um, I loved all your episodes, actually, um, and was listening to several in the car the other day while driving. Um, when I mentioned um, to Dr. J.D. Barton that it sounded like the levels for Call Me By Your Name were insanely low and I couldn't hear them, um, he made me think that it was my problem and said no one else had a problem. Um, <laughs> And I would listen to the episode again, and it was in my car this time, so it just went straight to the next episodes, which were all at a much higher level. So I want to talk about the gaslighting of a doctor to a um, listener <laughs> in Australia and why he would make him feel that way. Um, yeah, I haven't been able to get it off my chest, so I just want to have a chat about that. No need to share unless you want to. <laughs> That's amazing. That's a friend of mine. That is uh, the incredibly talented magician James Galea, who is in Sydney, Australia, and listening. And I sure did say, no, no one else has had that problem. And then I listened to it, and I was like, that sounds terrible. <laughs> so, you know, again, I love a correction. I love feedback. a call out. I love you all. Amazing. So, this has been another just profound episode. <laughs> I have been Dr. J.D. Barton. And I have been Dr. Joanna Wicken. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram. Tell a friend. Tell send a us, friend. Send us more audio messages. We Please send them. us some more audio more messages. More corrections. More corrections. I feel like the pettier they are, the better they are. Uh, uh, truly. Yeah. Truly. I mean, listen, give us your theories and thoughts. Uh, we'd love to hear them. Tell us Matthew uh, Lillard's character's name. I, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if only you and I had the capability of finding this out on our There's own. There's no way to know. No way to know. Oh, oh, though that all, our music's been playing for a while now, y'all. We gotta go. We're getting the curtain call. <laughs> We're, look, the hook and We're the playing curtain. the music. <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. 
With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.